0: Pam, we love you, and we are so grateful for your friendship to us. We've been preaching through the book of Psalms, and today we come to what is most likely the best known of all the Psalms, the 23rd Psalm, and you can see it printed in your program. And uh, there's a sermon outline there for you in the program. If I don't get through all of the questions that are there, well, I put them in that program for you to contemplate as you go through the week. Uh, This psalm was probably written in the twilight of David's life as he reflects back on the goodness of the Lord to him through his ups and through his downs. And when I read this psalm, I don't know about you, but I feel as though I am on holy ground. So hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I have told you that there are certain passages of the Bible that when I go to prayer, they, these passages of the Bible have helped me so much. For example, I told you that the, the second most prominent passage of Scripture in my prayer life is found in Revelation chapter 1. That glorious picture of the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, just who He is revealed in His glory, helps me so much as I enter into prayer. But that's the second most. Because number one in my life, and I hope that it ranks high in your life, in your own praying, is this passage, the 23rd Psalm, which is so filled with visual word pictures that we are to have in our mind so evocative of God's blessing and reality in our lives, in our minds. I hope these word pictures stay with you. We are warned in the second commandment not to make idols and have graven images and even sometimes mental images can shrink God in certain ways. Yes, I know. But He gives us word pictures like this so that we can meditate and contemplate until they become a, a part of how we interact with the Lord. The Lord... Is my shepherd. What do you think of? If you'd bring up my sermon outline on the screen, the Lord is my shepherd. Roger, can you bring that up for me? Are you at the place where you can say, my shepherd? You know, there are so many ways that God describes Himself in the Bible. And sometimes he is described in terms of his power and other times in terms of his holiness and sometimes his compassion, other times his justice. But in this passage, he is not described so much in terms of his attributes as he is in terms of a relationship. And so this first line has perhaps been painted In schmaltzy ways, in glorious ways, on hallmark cards like this, perhaps, I don't know what image, mental image you get in your mind, what visual word picture you have, but but do you get one when you read the Lord is my shepherd? And we come to what is perhaps the most important word in this psalm, my shepherd. Have you come to the place where it's personal with you? You see, some of us, maybe many of us, if we are honest, have more of of an arrangement with God than we do a relationship with God. What do I mean by an arrangement with God? See, some Christian people fall into this trap of saying, well, I have this deal with God. I'll do, if I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that, then, then I hope God is going to like me. And then you, then you wonder, how am I doing? How am I doing? Because His acceptance of me is based on my performance. But think for a minute about a relationship. Maybe your relationship with your best buddy. What is that like? Acceptance. It's acceptance. It's love. Your best buddy, he doesn't get all over your case every other moment. He loves you. She loves you. And out of that, you respond with love to them and you want to bless them. David is showing us here in this first verse that says, The Lord is my shepherd, that it all flows out of a very personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what did Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 14? He said, I am the good shepherd. He knew Psalm 23. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says, You are my sheep. And I know you, and you know me. And if you are a Christian, then it's not about an arrangement with God. It's about a relationship, a personal relationship with the Lord. And if you're a sheep of His, He supplies your need. Now, before we go any further on this, I guess this is the time to say this. If, if He is your shepherd, that means you are His what? Sheep. Now, if I were to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to me, and I say, and you need to pick an animal uh, in the in the wild kingdom to choose that represents you, some of you would say, I am a lion, and someone would say, I am like a deer, and someone would say, Well, I am like an eagle, and someone might say, I am gentle like a dove. And yet here, and just about everywhere in the Bible, they ch- the, the authors of Scripture by the Holy Spirit say, let's pick this animal, the sheep. And it may sound nice, but it actually is not necessarily a compliment. Because if you know anything about sheep, you know that they are some of the dumbest and dirtiest animals in the world. And so when Isaiah says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way, you might think, oh, well, that's good, cute little lamb, but he's saying that's bad because you are on the level with a sheep. What do we know about sheep? Philip Keller, in his wonderful book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, uh, writes chapter after chapter from his own experience as a shepherd for many years in Africa. And he says that sheep uh, require more attention than any other of the livestock. They are notoriously vulnerable. They are helpless. They're not strong. They're not fast. They uh, have no claws. They have weak teeth. They are short-sighted, near-sighted. They have no homing instincts. A dog can find his way home. A cat can find his way home. A bird can find its way home. A horse can find its way home. A sheep will just go and go and go and go, never find its way home. The overriding principle of the 23rd Psalm is this. It's something that a Christian understands that a non-Christian does not understand a Christian understands that a sheep can't make it without a shepherd. And so, what do we learn just from this? That He, Jesus Christ, is the good shepherd that this old sheep really needs. And the only reason that David can say this next phrase, I shall not be in want, is because David says, I am the sheep and the Lord is my shepherd. Now, The next phrase says, and I shall not be in want. And here there's something very beautiful. That he says he leads us into green pastures. And this is something really very important. The New Testament teaches us. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.13, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. And so what we learn here, foreshadowing that reality in Psalm 23, is I shall not be in want. Has this been your experience? I'm not saying has He given you every luxury you've ever set your eyes on. But has He taken you physically into green pastures? Has He supplied your need? Has He taken you beside Quiet waters. So, in those times when your throat is parched and He slakes your thirst and you sip and it is cool and it is refreshing. Oh, but Jesus, how can you do this? It's a big flock and this is a big world. And there are millions and millions of people like the ones who joined us today. How can you keep track of them all? How can you know every need that they have and meet them all? And yet, that's what Jesus said. You know that in in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. Millions of them. And my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. What are the ways that God has physically and spiritually given you pure and innocent, simple pleasures? David Powlison has written a marvelous little book. We might even have it at the book table downstairs called Pleasures. And he asks, what are green pastures for you? What are quiet waters for you? What is it in your life that truly refreshes you? What helps you lay down your cares and set aside the busyness of the world just for a few moments in your life, so that you can step back into the busyness and hardship of life with a new joy? What is it in your life? We, you know, we were talking about this at prayer meeting. One person says, "You know, my life is so stressful, but for me, I go swimming." That's what she said. She said, "I go swimming." And when I get in the water and I just move through the water, I experience a, a refreshment of my body and my soul and I pray and I meditate and I think and I, no one is talking to me and the phone can't reach me and the pager can't reach me and I'm just swimming in those quiet waters. Wasn't that, isn't that a beautiful just sense that the Lord is with her in the little things of that? For me, what is it? you know I'm an extrovert. That doesn't surprise you. So when I see an old friend... What does that do for me? When I see an old friend, I just, I just light up inside. It's so good to see you again. Or a good meal. How good is that meal that evokes some childhood memory for you and, and refreshes you? You know, God gives us innocent, simple, physical pleasures. They come from His hand. I mean, gluttony is wrong. And I have sometimes repented of gluttony. Sexual immorality is wrong. I have sometimes repented of sexual lust. But listen, food is good. Food was given to us by God to enjoy. It should be enjoyed properly under His Lordship. Sex, sexual relations within marriage is good. It was created by God before the fall. It is to be a joy and a pleasure in life, in the the proper arrangement that God has given. These things are like green pastures and quiet waters for God's people. Martin told us that the Psalms revel in God's creation. And that the people of God delight in in, in this master artist who creates the unparalleled beauty of a sunrise and a sunset and he is so talented that he erases it every day to paint it again the next. Did you see it this morning? Did you see the moon this week in its brilliance? Did you watch the autumn leaves drop? Have you had a cool glass of water when you were terribly thirsty? And David Pollison says, what makes these pleasures good and innocent? He says, it is the fact that there is a greatest pleasure. And this is what Pam was talking about. Because Pam has come to know the greatest pleasure, who is the giver of all good, innocent pleasures, And that is the Lord himself, that is the good shepherd himself, who gives you these blessings. Do not forget him. Do not ignore him. Say thank you to him when you turn on your car and you experience the blessing of a combustion engine. Thank him when the sky becomes pink and purple in the hues of the sunset. Praise him when you see the colored leaves fill the fall mountain landscape. And when you taste warm, fresh bread with butter, enjoy. Why? Because these foreshadow the spiritual blessings. Jesus said to us, I am the bread of life. If he was speaking to sheep, what would he have said? He would have said, I am the green grass of life. But for us, he said, I am the bread of life. We understand. That the bread we are thankful for is a picture of the beautiful blessings of knowing him and experience him. And he takes us into green pastures. Our starved souls are satisfied in him. Our thirsty souls have uh, their thirst quenched in him. And then he says, he restores my soul. Now, this is a very interesting phrase, and I'm going to teach you something about shepherding here. When your group studied, Suzanne, studied uh, the 23rd Psalm, you didn't do it all in one week, did you? Uh, it took, how many weeks did it take you guys to get through it? Twelve weeks, and Charlene, the same, took about twelve weeks. Um, there's a term called a cast sheep. And a cast sheep needs to be Restored. Because here's what happens to sheep. they got these little weak legs. And sometimes they fall over and they end up on their back. And the, the, the fleece is so heavy. And sometimes it gets waterlogged. And they get stuck. And they just all they can do is wave their legs in the air and bleat for a while. And if the shepherd does not find them in a short period of time, they will die. Eventually they will suffocate if the wolves don't get them first. And they are so vulnerable. They cannot turn themselves over. This is why the shepherds are watching, counting their sheep. And this is what is behind when Jesus Christ told us the parable in Luke 15. And he says, I know my sheep. I count my sheep. And if there's one missing, he knows it must be cast, the cast sheep somewhere. And he goes out and he searches for it. And when the shepherd finds the cast sheep there in its helplessness, he comes to it and he turns it on its side first. And he rubs its legs and he massages its legs to get the circulation going. Then he reaches under and he lifts it up and he sets it down on its legs again. And it wobbles there for a few minutes until suddenly it can take off again sturdily and confidently and away it goes. Now listen. Have you ever been like a cast sheep? I have. When your circumstances are paralyzing. When you just feel like you're on your back. You've been knocked down and you can't get up again. You are knocked down. And what does the Lord Jesus Christ do? He comes and He restores your soul. And I could tell you if you want to know many times in my life and some of you could testify up here many times in your life when you were like a cast sheep and Jesus came and He found you. And he picked you up. He massaged you back to health and said, let's move on together again. This is what David had in mind when he said, he restores my soul. And the New Testament is filled with pictures of this. But we all remember Peter after he denied Christ, utterly humiliated and ashamed. And Jesus tenderly, tenderly, lovingly restores his soul. Has he done that for you? I know he has. And then it says He leads you in paths of righteousness. And all I'll say here is that left to themselves, sheep will graze and graze and graze until they either get lost or they turn the the grassy field into a desert waste. But what this says is that Jesus Christ leads you. He leads you on. And I like this. Here's the image. Jesus Christ is not in the back of the herd driving them. Where is He? He's out in front leading. And this is beautiful because if you struggle with anxiety, if you wonder about your future, then what a gift it is to the Christian to know that He's out in front of you. Oh yes, He's not visible, physically visible, but He is there. And by faith you affirm, Lord, you're out in front of me before I have to take this test in school, before I have to make this sales appointment, before I have to um, uh, strive for this promotion at work, before I have to discipline my children, Lord, You're out in front. You're going to help me. This summer I was down in Nashville, Tennessee, when I went to Galen's wedding, and and, uh, I visited Franklin. And Franklin, there was the great battle of Franklin in the Civil War. And the stories of the Confederates charging against the Union soldiers. And the Union soldiers beat them back. And one of the officers re- went back to the Confederate general, way behind the lines. And he says, what should we do? And the general, way behind the lines, said, charge them again. And the officer said, sir, with all due respect, that's easy for you to say back here. But Jesus Christ is not behind the lines. We are told, He leads me. He's in front of you, leading you in paths of righteousness. And what are paths of righteousness? just obedience to His name. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. The Christian life is one of happy obedience to Jesus. You, 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 he says, love one another, and so you say, yes, let's love one another. In paths of righteousness, and then something striking For His name's sake. How does He do that? What's this all about? For His name's sake. Well, what it means is that first line in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. What's the first line in Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life? Warren, what is it? It's it's not about you. All the blessings, my goodness, the blessings of green pastures, enjoy them. The blessings of quiet waters, enjoy them. Restoring your soul, enjoy it. But guess what? Ultimately, it's not about you. It's for His name's sake, for His glory. This is why the Apostle Paul, he says, whether you eat or drink in green pastures or beside quiet waters, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it all for the glory of God. Then, at the second half of verse 4, it changes. And he says in the old King James Version, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And how many a Christian, at the end of their life, has clung to that verse, to those phrases. And there's this new tone, because up until this point, the sheep has been talking about the shepherd. It's like the sheep went to the edge of the fence and said to the sheep on the other side, Hey, hey, you, let me tell you about my shepherd. My shepherd takes me into green pastures and my shepherd takes me by quiet waters. My shepherd picks me up when I'm cast down and he restores my soul. But he's, now he's no longer talking to someone else. Now he speaks to the Lord. And he says... This is a tough world. And there are valleys in life. There are valleys for all of us. Some of them are deep, some of them are shallow, but there are valleys for all of us. And there is the one valley that is the darkest valley of all. One painter puts it like this the valley of the shadow of death. It is dark, it is grim. And you cannot walk through the valley of the shadow of death with your husband. And you cannot walk through the valley of the shadow of death with your wife. You cannot walk through it with your business partner, not even with your child or with your parent. The book of Hebrews tells us, it is appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. And so you must walk it alone. Or must you? Hmm. What does David say? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, you are not alone. The Christian is not alone, even through that darkest valley of the shadow of death. Oh, but isn't Jesus afraid of death? Why, won't Jesus run away when death comes? No, he will not. Why will Jesus not flee? You know why, don't you? Because he's already tasted death. For you. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And then he says, the the sting of death is sin. Then he says, The power of sin is the law. And then he says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, and you go through that valley, and there's a sting with death, but Jesus Christ has taken the sting on the cross. There is a power of sin. It is the law. And the law condemns wherever you've fallen short of the law. In thought or word or action, you have fallen short of the law. And you and I are guilty in the the judgment, in the courtroom of the universe. We have broken the law, but Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law perfectly. So Paul says, thanks be to God when it comes to death, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For you are with me. And then the last two verses, the Lord becomes your host. No longer is He talking in sheep and shepherd metaphor, really. But in the midst of an evil and dangerous world, He learns to say, For you are with me. And then three great images, mental images in prayer that I use of His hospitality, of His welcome. The Lord welcomes you. How? He prepares a table for you. And for some of, us, some of us, oh boy, does he prepare a table. Others of us, well, it's a little more potluck. But you know what? Both are great. Whether it is the, the, the banquet in a palace or whether it's the potluck in the warmth of a friend's home, he prepares a table for you. It's just right. It's just what you need. And your cup overflows. And though you are thirsty, there's always more water to drink. What is this? This is the lavish grace. This is the lavish grace that God the host gives to His child who comes to His banqueting table. In an evil world, when temptation comes, when the economy tumbles, when bullies pursue you, when demons oppress you, the Lord is with you. Some of you have had cancer. There are people in this room who are cancer survivors, but those days, those during those dark days, what did they say to us as we prayed for them? The, your friends here in this room, they said, the Lord was with me. Some of you have lost a husband or a wife, and you are now alone, and you have learned to say, and we've heard your testimony, but the Lord is with me. Soldiers. Andrew's best man just got back from Iraq. A Christian man in harm's way. But what did he do before he went out on patrol? He said, the Lord is with me in this evil world. And I salute him as he's now returned here, but he has not given up. The Lord is with me. He prepares a table for you in the presence of his enemies. This is a picture of grace. I listened to my wife counseling a Christian woman who was struggling. And this person in a faraway state was weeping and was bitter in her heart. And she said, what has the Lord done for me? And as I was eavesdropping on her conversation, she said, the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world of misery and He took on flesh and He lived in humility for you and He died on the cross laying down His life so that you would be clean before God. And He has given you, and she listed, many blessings that this woman knew she had received. And you see, what Nina was doing was paraphrasing, essentially, Ephesians 1, verse 7, where it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with... Here, listen to this. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished upon us with all wisdom and understanding. And the woman began to cry. She said, thank you. Thank you. This is so helpful. My bitterness is so irrational. What was God doing to a cast sheep? He was lifting her up again, wasn't He, and helping her on the way. Now, it says He anoints your head with oil. Now, here's something that probably most of us wouldn't like. Some guy comes after you with a flask of oil, vegetable oil, to pour it over your head after you combed your hair and made it look all pretty this morning. You probably would react against that. And it's not completely clear whether he's talking about medicinal oil or whether he's talking about the shepherd who they used to put oil uh, mixed with sulfur on the nose of the sheep to keep the flies out. But surely, surely now David, as he reaches the pinnacle of the psalm, David is remembering his own anointing at the hands of Samuel the prophet. And he is anointed. And that anointing said to David, what your anointing says to you, For the oil, my friends, is simply the picture of the oil of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church at Pentecost. It is the oil of the Holy Spirit that has drenched the church. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. And in those days, God said, quoting the prophet Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all men, all flesh, the men and the women, the sons and the daughters. And what does that anointing say? It says, You are chosen. You are special. You are appointed by God to bear fruit in this world for His glory. Martin Luther reflected on his own conversion and he said this. This sounds radical, but Martin Luther said this. He said, The gospel is nothing until it is addressed to me. Now, he didn't mean the gospel is nothing. He would never mean that. But he says, when my heart is hard, and when my heart is cold, and when my heart is bitter, and when my heart is faithless, unless you bring the gospel to me, unless it is applied to me, it doesn't help me. But when you say the Lord is my shepherd, when He anoints your head with oil, when you're in a personal relationship with the Lord, then, he says, you have ears to hear. You have heart that is softened. You have a mouth that will speak his praises. Do you hear? Do you understand? That's what the anointing with oil is all about. And maybe, at least for this pastor, this sinful sheep, I deserve to lie on my back and be eaten by wolves. Perhaps I do deserve to drown in the, in the waters or starve on my back. But that is not the destiny of the child of God, of the sheep of his pasture. For how does he end the psalm? He ends the psalm saying, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heaven. Heaven is your destiny. Do you know this? There you go. Revelation. The book of Revelation. Chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be what? Their shepherd. (laughs) He's the good shepherd. But He's the Lamb at the center of the throne in heaven. He will be their shepherd and He will lead them to springs of living water and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Never again will they hunger. Why? Because you will be in the green pastures forever. Never again will they thirst. Why? Because you will be by those waters forever drinking deeply from them. The Lamb at the throne will be your shepherd. So now He's prepared a table for us. Because it's personal. It's personal. Is it personal with you today? We come to the Lord's Supper now. I invite the elders to come forward and sit in the front, ready to distribute this table.